Welcome to the Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Well, welcome to the Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. My name is Bill Hendricks. I'm the Executive Director for Christian Leadership at the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. Today we're going to talk about the nurture and care of pastors. Pastors pastor others, but then the question becomes who pastors the pastor? And I have been looking forward to this time with my longtime friend Andy McQuitty. Uh, Andy, I guess your first title is uh, Pastor Emeritus uh, of Irving Bible Church. And emeritus makes you sound like an old guy, Andy. <laughs> yeah, it makes me sound smart and important, too, neither of which are true. But he is also the founder of the Kaleo Collective, which, which is a, an outreach to pastors that uh, I want to use as kind of a, a, a model and a platform to discuss this broader issue of pastoring the pastor. So, Andy, welcome to the Table Podcast. Thank you, Bill. It's great to be with you, my old friend. Yes, yes. I want to get to Kaleo here in a minute, but uh, you know, you, you, you were you've been a pastor now for what your whole career, basically, right? I have, I have. How'd you, um, how'd you get into the pastorate? Well, uh, that that's interesting. I uh, I went off to Wheaton College back in the day with. Uh, I was going to major in, in biology and become a missionary surgeon. Huh. Um, had that in my heart, and um, so my fr- after my freshman year at Wheaton College, they had a, a summer missionary project, and I signed up. and They sent me off to South America. I was up in the in the mountains of Colombia, wow. in the rainforest of Colombia, and um, they they said, you know, you'll be in, Working with uh, Lee Hendrickson, who's a Wycliffe Bible translator, SIL mm-hmm. is their terminology in South America. And uh, they said, you'll be uh, basically making an airstrip on the mountain ridge there so that the helio couriers can come in and fly in and out. This was a primitive tribe, the Kwaikir Indians that we were with all summer. Oh. And uh, it was a 13-hour hike into this thing, and they wanted to make an airstrip so they could fly supplies sure. in. Yeah. So I was going down to help them build the airstrip, but they said, oh, but you could do some medical work, too. Uh, machete cuts, snake bites, you right. know, worm medicine. All. Thinking, I, oh boy, I could gonna, be a doctor, real, right? The real deal. And uh, so it's interesting. The Lord used that whole in summer, you know, trying to play doctor uh, to call me to the ministry. Because I was with um, some of the Indians one day at the, at dusk when it was time for them to go down the mountain to their village, mm-hmm. and um, there was this mom and her two little children, and she was on the porch of this palm slat hut that we lived in, and she wouldn't budge. And Lee spoke to her in her language, said, "You need to go." And she says, "I cannot go. It's getting dark, and if I go after dark, the demons will eat my mm-hmm. children." Wow! Wow! And um, wow. Lee immediately said, we, maybe you can stay here with us. You can stay tonight. And then later he told me what she had said and was like, God, God just put a dagger mm. in my heart. Yeah. You just saw up close and personal. Yeah. You, you looked over into that spiritual yeah. realm. He said, yeah, I want you to be a doctor. 
I'm calling you to be a doctor. I'm calling you to be a doctor of souls. A, a surgeon of souls. Yeah. So yeah. I came back. I changed my major. Yeah. Um, went a different direction and um, wound up going to uh, seminary uh, right here at Dallas Theological Seminary. And, uh, and then pretty quickly... Uh, right over to Irving Bible Church, where I was the senior pastor for 32 years. Now, and, uh, if, if memory serves me correctly, and I may be wrong, wasn't Chuck Swindle at Irving Bible Church at one point? Chuck was my predecessor there. Wow. Not my immediate predecessor. There were two in between Chuck. Right. He, he was in the 60s, the late 60s. That's what I was thinking. At IBC. Yeah. And I came in 1987. Okay. So I came about 20 years after Chuck. Gotcha. But there were uh, still echoes, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, 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 and Chuck has been very gracious with me over the years, you yeah. know, as, you know, just following the progress at his old pastorate at Irving. Yeah. And you really helped that church grow significantly. Well, we, we started with 100 people in a little old building on four acres down in old Irving. And um, when, I, when I left... Um, we had a $12 million budget and 70 full-time staff members relocated a, to a $50 million campus up wow. in Las Colinas. Yeah. And um, I, I don't know how that happened. <laughs> I just know that God did it. I was going to say, and, apart uh, from the grace of God. It was all I, – I, truly, I can't explain it. I mean, but um, it's, it's what God did. And, you know, it – it was quite a journey for me, pastorally speaking, because mm -hmm. I feel like though I've only ever pastored one church as a senior pastor, and that's Irving Bible Church. I think in my tenure there, I had, I pastored five different churches. Yeah, I'll bet. You know, the church I went mm -hmm. to, mm -hmm. and then you what know, became, and then and all then these right. increments right up until the the one that I left was about five iterations after the after the first one. So. It's been a it's been a journey and well and and in there it, your health went bad at one point right yeah uh, back in twenty two thousand nine um, I I went in for a colonoscopy and my and my doctor called me up and he said basically he said look I I just gotten off the phone with the with the golf course I'd set up a tea time to play mm -hmm. golf and I hung up and then my doctor called he said hey. Bad news about the colonoscopy says you got cancer in there real bad. Ooh. Get in here ASAP. We got to take care of this. Turned out to be stage four colon cancer. Wow! It gave me an eight percent chance of survival. Yeah, right. And uh, so, but we jumped in and uh, two major surgeries and eighteen months of gnarly chemotherapy and all the while still at IBC in the pulpit. And you know, carrying through the whole church knew I I've took them on this journey with me, right? And they prayed me through it. And in 2012, they declared me in complete remission, and I have been there ever since. Wow. I feel like God healed me. Absolutely, and absolutely. I, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for that. And um, when when they did declare me in remission, I've I've immediately felt like an obligation to mm. the Lord. Mm. Um, You've left who, me here to do who, something. Who, who brought me through right. this? And so I, I took a three month sabbatical and I wrote a book mm -hmm. about the it, the ordeal, it, yeah. the whole deal, and um, yeah, and basically that was my offering of gratitude and thanks to the Lord, because uh, the book consists basically of ten questions that I wrestled with as a Christian. Wow! When I got cancer, 
you know, all the way from the first chapters, why me? <laughs> you know, and, and and just working through, you know, it's part apologetics, it's part yeah. um, theology, it, 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 it's a lot devotional. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that book continues to fly off all over the world because there's That's so great. many people that wrestle Absolutely. with cancer. Well, we almost yeah. have to do a, another podcast at some point on that yeah. topic yeah. because because you're right. So many people deal with cancer and and it doesn't always come out well and and yeah. you know there's it, it just a whole nest of issues there. But yeah. I, I I wanted you to sort of tell that story so that our listeners really understand. We're going to talk about pastoring the pastors, but that this is a guy who like he's been there, you know, like like you've seen. You've seen the movie and all the different scenes and iterations of what happens in that movie. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it's it's been um, it's been a rich experience and not always easy, as yeah. you say. Um, and I I would dare say that no pastor is ever always easy, um, if at all. Uh, but that it is in the the grind. And sometimes the suffering, sometimes the pain, sometimes the COVID nineteen lockdowns. Yeah, that pastors and their congregations find something special about the Holy Spirit and God's purpose for them, both as pastor and congregation in this cultural moment. Right. So, you know, I, I have learned to take it one day at a time as a pastor, and to and to start out with you know just a plea to God, Lord, let me have listening ears to what you would speak to me, how you would guide me, and resource me for going in the directions and doing the ministry that you've called me to do. Hmm. You just make that prayer every day. You have long-term plans, but you keep them short accounts. Yeah, because they can change. You don't know. And uh, going to happen. Yeah, like my tea time that day. I I didn't keep my tea time. It, you <laughs> that know, suddenly it became changed. very minor. It, it, it did, but you know, this is this is life, and um, yeah. and and really, I, I've come to find great joy in it because um, it's only in those gnarly, chaotic, churning times of uncertainty hmm. that that you can truly experience the full breadth of God's grace and love. Yeah, and, when you got uh, nowhere else to turn, He shows up. You really learn, yeah. That you know, you, you are weak. I am weak. These are the these are the three things that I learned. I am weak. God is strong. Love is precious. There you go. So praise God. And that's that's how it's always been. It just took me a while to get there. Yeah. Well, you mentioned that the pastorate is a difficult job. It's challenging and it has its <laughs> challenges. Um, but. I think part of what led you to get Kaleo going was the fact that the pastor it, it it seems like it's become even much harder in the last few years yeah. just recently. Yeah. Well, it it has. Um my goodness. I I I think, you know, having several friends in other fields that require leadership. I've, I've got friends that, that are CEOs of companies and, Fortune 5 yeah. companies. I've, I've got a two-star Air Force general mm-hmm. um, in, in my Bible study group. Um, I, I've, got, I, I've got a judge in my group, and, you know, and, and he leads courts, you know, right. whole courts. And, and, and these are people, you know, in the world's business, military, um, Corporations, 
yeah, law. The professions. Yeah. Um, I, I've got friends that are in in the academy, and um, and they're leaders, and they and and I'm I'm a leader as as a pastor of a church, but I've always noticed the difference that um, being a pastor and, and lead, a ministry leader is from any other kind of leadership. And I think it all I think it all boils down to this. Our leadership um, requires of us to persuade people to follow because mm-hmm. we don't have, you know, uh, we, we've got, you know, carrots and sticks as the tools of leadership. Yeah. Pastors don't have any sticks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my, my two-star Air Force general friend has a bunch of big sticks yeah, you know right you know my 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 business corporate leaders you know they <laughs> it's you know they they can persuade with money or, right. or or the threat of, or, of right. being yeah. you know terminated and uh but you know in the ministry i mean you you, you, le- you, you lean on somebody they may just walk you you that's <laughs> right and it, it really it's it, and so it's a mix of of wise Human interactions and 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 and, and solid leadership principles mm-hmm. that I think go back and forth between the church and the corporate world, mm-hmm. military world. But I mean, leadership principles are the same. Yeah. But you just have a different perspective, and I think a harder challenge as a pastor. And so that's that's how it's always been. Even what we might have termed the good old days back, you know, yeah. before right. uh, we entered into this country, <laughs> into the roiling, you know, social up upheavals of the '60s and mm-hmm. sexuality and with the, the genders and mm-hmm. with the racial mm-hmm. issues, and then all the stuff lately with wokeism and yeah. grooming right. and and right. I mean, it just go. It, it's it's amazing to me how rapidly these kinds of challenges about. have snowballed. Yeah. And um, and pastors, I mean, we're 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 sitting out there in our churches trying to lead our people in this uh, in this culture that's just coming down on us like a flood. And people asking, what do we do? What do we believe? What is right? You know, mm-hmm. should we do this? Should we do that? Who do we vote for? I mean, the politics going on. Yeah. 2020, 2022. Oh my goodness, we're coming up to 2024, and it's another presidential exactly. election year. And uh, and you all, get it from both sides or all sides. You, you do. You, you try you to do. speak biblically and pastorally into any issue, and so you say some things. And one person comes up and says, "Pastor, there you go. You're going, you know, off on you know craziness." And then somebody else comes up and goes, "Pastor." I I I hand it to you that you tried to say something, but man, you just fell far short of what you needed to say. Yeah. You need to be much much more challenging. Yeah, this this is the other major difference between pastoral leadership and being a general in the in the Air Force or yeah, being a right. CEO is that you know as a pastor, um, everybody in your congregation feels like you know they're qualified to speak to. To yeah. preach that sermon right. or to take that position just as much as you are, <laughs> and when you deviate from their idea about it, they they feel free yeah. to tell you about it. You're the worst you know? pastor in the world. It's like you know, <laughs> everybody. You know, I I used to speak uh, at a convention of coaches in Texas. I, I love coaches, football coaches yeah, especially. Right. And I'd, I'd get with these guys and I'd say, I'd say, you know, I really understand 
what you guys go through. You're down there on the sidelines in a, in a tight high school football game, which in Texas is like yeah. a, you know, a yeah. professional team in, in some places. Yeah, the competition. And, and you make a call. You know, what do we do? On It's fourth and one, and we're behind by three, and we're on the 20-yard line. Do we go? Or do we, and you make a call. Problem is, everybody in the stands think they know what you should do. And, and they think they're just it. as better. And, and so, and I said, that's what it's like for me sometimes preaching. I'm looking out, and everybody out there, hmm. you know, feels just the same way. So I understand you. And, uh, but it's, it's always been difficult. But I do think, Bill, man, I think through, I, the, through the pandemic and, and in the aftermath of it. Yeah, I, I think mean, I saw a statistic. Oh, my gosh. That you gave, it was 1,500 pastors for leaving the pastorate. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, was it so, per month or, or something? Yeah, the, was, at, at the height of the pandemic, we were losing up to, up to 1,500 pastors a month in this country. Yeah. Um, uh, their churches were locked down. And this is mostly pastors out in the hinterlands. They're not in metropolitan areas where they have a lot of peer communities or pastors yeah. or resources or whatever. And when they, when they they got locked down, I mean, they had no no people coming to church. They had therefore no money flowing in. Right. Therefore, they had no encouragement, mm. and they were just withering on the vine. We were losing fifteen hundred a month. Wow. I know in Canada, 600 churches shut their doors permanently. Never open. Never open again. I don't know how many closed in America, but you know that's that's the stat. Here I am sitting in 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 my little retirement, like you know, I handed off IBC to Barry not a year before the lockdowns came. Wow. And uh, I felt really guilty. I've, I felt really kind of relieved. I mean, I'm glad I'm not in that hot seat right now, leading through with masks and in person and distancing and all the stuff they had to you, go through. You, you felt like a president that's served his term, and now he goes into that retirement, you know, with the Secret Service and taken care of. Yeah. And the year after he leaves, you know, World War Three breaks out for the next guy. Yeah. And I, you know, I feel so. You feel guilty. Yeah. That you, that you're not in the in the fray. But you also feel a little relieved. It's yeah, not me, right. but all that God God used to kind of work on me. Like, yeah, it broke my heart, and mm-hmm. you know, it was like the Lord was saying to me, "Look, I want you to, I want you to help. You you can do something here." And um, yeah, so, tell us that, that, where did that vision for Kaleo come from? Yeah, well, it, it basically. Uh, you started it, Bill. <laughs> I I can't remember exactly when it was. It was it was a couple of years before the, the pandemic. But yeah. I remember you reached out to me and a couple of couple of my our pastor friends here mm-hmm. in the DFW area and asked us to come up to the leadership center and just in, in your in your boardroom up there. I remember yeah. you just you were just you just threw out to us, hey look, we you know, here at the leadership center we're trying to figure out a way to support the guys in ministry that come through here and they go out and you know we want to we want to help them and bless them and we you know we're, we're we're just interviewing pastors about your ideas about how we might go about that mm. and and I think what you were thinking about at that time was gathering pastors yeah. in some sort of ongoing cohorts. groups or right. cohorts yeah. and uh, you were just asking us what do we think about that would it work how, you know would we be involved in all that kind of stuff and I I was intrigued by the, I thought it was a great question 
because I've always thought that pastors ought to have uh, an ongoing, continuing education kind of morale and peer group support system right. all rolled into one. It, it, People, you know, they're peers who know their world and their situation. That's right. And so I, you know, I, I, I came to the meeting very enthusiastic, and I, I don't even remember what I said. Y'all took notes and said thank you very much, and so uh, that was the last I thought about it until I'm in the middle of this pandemic shutdown, mm. and God is just pounding on me, mm. like I want you to do something, and and you know, <laughs> I I said, well, what, and. Uh, my meeting with you up here at the leadership wow. center came into my mind. That's what I want you. I want you to get guys together. I want you to provide. You know, there have been so many studies. Like uh, one one of one of the studies that that I go to is uh, is the the Lilly Endowment. Right. They do a lot of that. They, you know, back in 2010, I, I think I think. In 2010, they they had been at a nine-year study of what um, contributes to the flourishing of pastors in their calling, mm. and um, they spent ten million dollars. They interviewed hundred thousand people. They, I mean, it was a major thing over a nine-year period, wow. and they released the results in 2010. and And basically, <laughs> and I I quote this on. On our website, in our little elevator speech uh-huh. video that I made, it was telling what Kaleo is about, is that uh, they spent ten million dollars over nine years trying to answer the question: what What is it that pastors can do that will help them flourish in their ministry? And they came up with this: being an ongoing peer group mm. for the purposes of support, encouragement, and learning. <laughs> it's like and it. And and not only did they discover that those pastors that were involved in ongoing relationships with their peers mm-hmm. um, contributed to the flourishing of their pastorate, it contributed to the growth of their church. Sure, which makes that, sense. It does, and and they studied the churches of those who were engaged in these peer groups and found that there's a direct one-to-one correlation. I mean, yeah. you got a pastor. Who's receiving regular, ongoing support, encouragement, and leadership training in a in a in a community of his peers, and that church is also going to be growing. And uh, I just it, it it just hit me. Okay, this yeah. is it. I mean, and well, it reminds me of what uh, Tom Nelson says. You know, families don't thrive unless their church is thriving, but churches don't thrive unless their pastors thrive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so there's a lot of dominoes here that that are involved. Well, you know, one of the things interesting that you quote Tommy on that because I've heard I've heard him say that, and he's so right. And you know, when I retired in 2019 from being senior pastor at IBC, I I had been you know kind of kicking the tires of possibly getting into a kind of a, a pastoral consulting mm-hmm. kind of ministry and and so forth and. Um, I spent a lot of time looking at becoming like a church consultant. Mm-hmm. You know, I come in. I, I've got a good friend Reggie McNeil who mm-hmm. who came in and consulted with us at IBC right. over yeah. a couple of times over the years. And I I, I I liked Reggie. I liked his style. Like what he did for us. And I, I thought, 
yeah, I, I could see myself doing that. And then I began to realize that what Tommy said is so true, and that is, hey, the church, I mean, you, you can go as a consultant to help a church thrive, but if you really want to help it at the grassroots, you got to help that pastor. Yeah. Because if you get the pastor, the church is going to come along. So, And helping I, that pastor is not just giving him a bunch of advice mm, and technical you know, know-how. Yeah. I mean, that's always beneficial, but you, you mentioned earlier, you're really talking about his soul, yeah, what's yeah. going on inside of him. God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. Yeah, I I, I brought a, a article here that I, I stuck in my file a couple of years ago. It's uh, Tish Harrison Warren, mm-hmm. uh, great writer, and uh, this is New York Times. She's talking about why pastors are burning out, hmm. and uh, this this article is 2022. Yeah, fairly recent. But um, she quotes the Barna study that everybody quotes that says that um, that was taken in 2022. They did a, a huge uh, survey of pastors in America and found that 42% of pastors are thinking seriously about quitting mm. right now. Wow. This is a year ago. Yeah. And uh, it's uh, it, it's pretty serious. And. And, and then Tish uh, comments on that in, in just a couple of sentences that, that I want to read to you that, that I think really capture our heart at Kaleo Collective for what, what guys are going through and how we want to help them. She says, in the Barna study, the top reported reasons for clergy burnout were the same ones that people in the population at large face. This is a burnout, stress, loneliness, and political division. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, CEO of, of uh, you know, Exxon right down here in Las Colinas, he's susceptible to burnout for those same reasons as a pastor. Stress, loneliness, and political divisions, and those are part of the warp and woof of a pastor's challenge and looking out at a sea of faces on Sunday morning. Mm. Uh, man, you got divisions, you've got you know, all, the, all the stuff that's going on in this cultural moment. But then she continues. She says... Um, but these stressors affect pastors in a unique way, and I think she's right. Pastors bear not only their own pain, but also the weight of an entire community's grief, divisions, and anxieties. They are charged with the task of continuing to love and care for even those within their church who disagree with them vehemently and vocally. Mm. These past years required them to make decisions they were not prepared for that affected the health and spiritual formation of their community, and any decisions they made would likely mean that someone in their church could feel hurt or marginalized. Wow. This is um, 
This this is insight into into this unique difficulty of being a pastor is that not only do you have intellectual decisions to make, uh, financial decisions to make, program and mm-hmm. policy decisions to make, you've got spiritual and political decisions to make. Yeah, um, everything's personal, and it is, and because uh, it's it's a it's a bunch of interlocking relationships. Yeah, yeah, and it. I just think that uh, the pressure of all that um, is just too much. There, um, there, there is too much demanded from pastors today uh, than what their training and experience has prepared them for. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm, uh, I'm working on a book right now. Uh, with with another uh, longtime pastoral friend of mine, Dr. Dr. Larry Parsley, who was uh, recently ensconced down in Waco at Truett mm-hmm. Seminary as a professor of theology and pastoral theology. So, oh. but he and I are writing this book together. It's called Hobo Pastor, hmm. in which we're going back through and realizing all the things that in our long ministries we came to. Find were essential to success mm. uh, that we never learned in seminary. Yeah, I, I, I hope the walls here at, <laughs> at DTS don't close on me. But I, I came on campus here during accreditation hearings a few times. Yeah, I don't know why they right. brought me back. Hey, what? How did we do in preparing you for the ministry? And I, I lowered the boom a couple of times. But here, here I am still. Uh, and that's not DTS's fault. It's an academic institution. It, it's I think part of the reality of training. Past pastoral ministry is something you can't learn in a classroom. No, no. And uh, and so and e- and even if if we gave you the information. At the time, it wouldn't mean. Yeah, I memorize it. I take the test. I'm I'm done. And then you get out there in leadership, yeah. and suddenly you now, what was just a footnote in class, now I need a I need a, a yeah. crash course in. Yeah, you're you're looking back through your class notes, saying, yeah. "Please let somebody have said what to do." <laughs> when the you know? you know, it's a case of the when the student is ready, the teacher will show up. <laughs> That's right? exactly right. And, and the teacher often is uh, hard experiences, hard yeah. yeah. So, but you know the, the 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 overall motivating factor for me uh, in in pulling together uh, the the Kaleo Collective is uh, just the remembrance of um, a peer group of my peers that kept me going here in Dallas that for thirty years. For thirty years. Uh, mm. I think I think it was this my experience with with my guys I called them and you you know most I've said some of their names mm-hmm. before we started mm-hmm. this you know yeah. prominent pastors in Dallas and Fort Worth we used to just get together once a month and uh, we'd share around somebody put the food on we'd go all in close the doors what happened behind closed doors with all those senior pastors they stayed were, behind closed doors that's key. and we dealt with. Everything, everything in there. We dealt with like moral failures of staff members. We dealt with failed capital campaigns. We dealt with uh, church splits. We 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 dealt with um, just. I mean, I, I could go oh, on sure. and on. And uh, we Pe- kept we kept people's anxiety, their depression, their their very grief, transparent, their trauma that they you know remember all that stuff, all that stuff. Uh, and and uh, it was once a month. 
and it was just senior pastors. We get together. That was the, you know, I could have saved Lily ten million dollars. <laughs> they would have right. just came to me. And said, well, what helps you? It's my guys, you know. And um, mm-hmm. so when we came through the pandemic, and the Lord's tapping on my shoulder, saying, "Look, I want you to do something about this," and I'm remembering, I'm remembering that day up at the Leadership Center with you talking about getting pastors together. I'm remembering my own experience in doing that. Hmm. Not organized, but just us guys. And it went for 30 years. It went for 30 years. Um, And I thought, that's all I want to do. I want to find a way to facilitate guys getting together in in, in peer communities where they can deal with uh, soul care issues mm-hmm. and leadership best practices, where they, where they can become a band of brothers who, who have enduring not just relationships but friendships, that uh, we get together and we go through, hey, what, what are the bent nails that are going on in your ministry? I, I call them bent nails. Yeah. You know, when you're pounding right. the thing, you just goes, can't get, yeah. you know, like I, I – I can't get a capital campaign launched. I've got conflict on my board. I've got a staff member who's who's being dishonest. I've got you know, mm-hmm. and and we bring these up and and we talk about them on a regular basis. I I also um, the way that we have Kaleo set up, we have a ninety minute Zoom call, and we do this by via Zoom, so the guys can participate no matter where they are. And uh, so it's not geographically bound. It's not. I would prefer if it was, yeah. I, you know, because you our, like in person, our group right. was in person. Yeah. But, you know, if there's one thing that pastors in America learned during the pandemic is how to do a Zoom call. So I thought, you know, a lot of the pastors that need this most are probably going to be out there. Right. And so by, by you know. They're in a small town or a remote area ex- or. Exactly. Uh, making they, z- the Zoom call an option in, yeah. includes them. Yeah, and um, they may not be part of a denomination of any sort. Right, they may not have any support systems, but they can they can be part of our cohorts and and benefit the whole thing. So we have a ninety minute Zoom call with the what I call our our cohort pastor, Kaleo cohort pastor, who's an old guy like me. You know, I've got some friends, and uh, they are I call them sages, ministry sages, successful, experienced pastors. Most of them are not. Full time. Some of them are retired, like yeah. me. Uh, some of them are, and uh, still, and when, still and in the you, ministry. And when, you, when you say successful, I'm, I'm assuming by that you mean not so much that oh yeah they have this massive church. It's like no, they stayed the course for thirty years in the pastorate, and they they were effective in that role. That's and thank you for clarifying that. Um, that that is my definition of success is being yeah. a faithful pastor over the years, and. Uh, and, and keeping your family, keeping your own soul together, keeping your family together, and 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 being a blessing uh, to your church and your church and your community. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be big, but um, you know I do think that longevity is part of my definition of success. Yeah, sure. Uh, because the best things only come after a period of time. So well, and because pastoring by its nature, I mean, this is right out of the scriptures. I mean. It, Many ways, it's like it's like farming. It's 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 like you know, growing an arbor of trees. You, it doesn't happen overnight. It it's time with people yeah. over time. Yeah. And time with families over time. 
because you not only got to build a relationship, but that's how people grow. They, they takes time to grow. That's exactly right. Um, that's, that's one of the, the things that breaks my heart about the fallout from the lockdowns mm-hmm. uh, in, in driving a lot of people out of the ministry because they just lacked what they needed to sustain in there. And and thereby killing their longevity. Um, was was is the is is like the elephant in the room? Uh, I guess I'd say isolation or loneliness. <sighs> is that is that kind of? The, I think I, of it? I think those are the you know I th- I think the isolation is the loneliness. Somebody's I, trying you know, to do it on their own. And and uh, but but being being alone in that situation, but also I think sometimes feeling inadequate. Mm. Um, you know, in the in the Barna study, they they asked uh, about twelve different questions, right? About what you know, what is it that you know is stressing you in the ministry, and you know the things that rose to the, the to the surface were loneliness and and stress, um, but also uh, number four, I think, was a feeling that our church is not doing well, and I can't fix it. Hmm. In other words, I, I I feel like I don't have the resources to turn this thing around, and uh, in other words, I I need help. I need some leadership coaching. I I need some ex- shared experiences from others who have faced similar challenges. And what did you do? And how did you manage that? I, yeah. So so yeah, I think I think the loneliness is is kind of the 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 hotbed of a lot of these. Um, Self-doubt questions that pastors are asking. They're, they're going. I, I wonder if other guys feel as blue as I do mm-hmm. on Monday mm-hmm. after you preach your heart out on Sunday. Yeah. I, I wonder if other guys feel like their church is stuck and that they're not going to ever be able to get it unstuck. I, I wonder. I wonder how other guys handle specific issues like mm-hmm. conflict with your leadership. Yeah. You know how. I wonder how the and. They they have to wonder all these questions alone. Hmm. Where um, what we're trying to do in Kaleo is say, hey, we're coming into a group here where we're putting all our stuff on the table, like both our que- and 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 what I've learned, uh, you know, in in my cohort that I've been leading, is that this thing just catches fire because, you know, there there. I, I have nine guys in my in my cohort right now, and I meet with them in a personal Zoom every month for thirty minutes, and then once all together. But in those personal thirty minute Zooms, I'm getting in the weeds with them. Okay, what what questions do you want to ask me? I, right. I say right off the bat, and man, they come up with how do I did I got problem here? This mm-hmm. thing's killing me over here. Mm-hmm. And I'll work through it with them then as much as I can. But then we'll bring it to the group. Yeah, in the big thing. Yeah, and. And it never fails. I just had that, you know. I was going to say, I, I bet ju- there's a lot. We of... just went through that. Oh, you too, huh? And, and so it's like, you know, that's C.S. <laughs> I'm not the only one. That C.S. Lewis said, "This is why we read, so that we know that, yeah, you know, it happened to them too. Yeah. I mean, it happens to our brothers in, in in the ministry too, and they become now peer mentors. Peer mentors, yeah. and 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 we we're, we're throwing out. Book okay, read this book. You know, mm-hmm. call this 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 person. This right. you know fundraising. Resource. Right. You know, do do this. 
Uh, we've had we've had a couple uh, of occasions where, where we had, you know, an elder in one guy's uh, church had been basically put on suspension because he had made sexually suggest, suggestive statements to the secretary at the church. Right. And the other elders had just put him on suspension. <laughs> And, uh, and this young pastor was telling us, and yeah, this is my this is my church. You know what about this? And a bunch of our some one or two of our older guys, they stepped in and said, "Okay, <laughs> look, you're in the weeds here legally. You got to back this thing up. You got to get him out. You've yeah. got to call this. You can't just let this thing try to put it under the carpet. You could lose the whole church you to a lawsuit. Too much exposure. And so." In that way, you got wisdom. The experience of the group comes in, and and everybody's feeling like ah, I got a stake in your ministry, and you have a stake in my ministry, and we're we're like a band of brothers in yeah, this together. Exactly. And uh, that's that's the dynamic that I had for thirty years with my guys here. It's the dynamic we want to create in the collective. It's that feeling of wow, these guys are for me. Yeah, like they want to help me and see me succeed. Yeah, yeah, and and that. Is the chief challenge that we have in getting guys to come into the groups as participants? Because yeah. most pastors' concept of other preachers and ministers getting together in a group mm-hmm. is your average local ministerial association. Right, right. You, 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 you smiled as soon as I said that everybody knows. The ministerial association that meets every month is you get a bunch of the preachers in the th- in the room and it's like everybody's posing it's a and posturing. It's it's com- it's yep. competitive right. and it's gamesmanship. Is who's got the biggest church? Who's who's you know who's got distant. the political power? Right. Uh, and 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 nobody that I know wants that no. anymore. No. Uh, and and so I'm just I'm just saying to everybody. Kaleo is the opposite of that. This, we're not interested in getting guys in groups so that they can be compete, competing with each other, boost their self-esteem by comparing themselves to others, uh, or lose their self-esteem by comparing them. Right. We're not, that's not what this is about at all. We are here to, to love each other and to help each other and to pray for each other and to hold each other's hands up. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would assume that uh, one of your biggest recruiting uh, tools, if you will, are the pastors that are in the groups, and then a buddy of theirs is, you know, hey, I got to get together, yeah, and and they spill their guts, and and the person says, well, man, you you should yeah. come check my group out. That's that that I believe is going to be the primary recruiting method methodology. Yeah. Once we get this thing to a tipping point where we're big enough to have that kind of Clout. Right now, I'm relying much on Jeremiah's um, exhortation: "Do not despise the day of small things." There you I go. mean, we're very Do small. Do not despise small beginnings. And uh, you know, my my main job in these days is I, I'm trying my best to recruit cohort pastors, mm-hmm. older, experienced guys who will basically say, "Hey, look." And I'm hiring them as independent contractors right, to right. work with me. I'm paying them to do this. Well, I'm glad you brought to, that up because I, I mean, yeah. I think that's an excellent avenue for people who've they've kind of been faithful and they've had a pretty decent run, and they're not, you know, they're not quite ready to just go, you know, play golf all day. They're like, you know, I want to do something, 
Yeah. Well, here's something yeah. you could do. And they have so much to offer. So much. You know, all those years of experience, much of it um, in the crucible, <laughs> you know, they have so much to, wisdom to, to give. And um, so I'm, I'm, I'm basically just recruiting very personally. Mm-hmm. These cohort pastors, and then it's their responsibility to go find to, to go and, and recruit guys to participate in their in their cohorts. And this is all this process is all on our website and this is, and so forth. But I, I I think I think that okay. Let me give you my two biggest problems in recruiting cohort pastors and cohort pastor participants mm-hmm. into the group. My biggest problems in uh, with my cohort pastors is. Um, they have many of them are retired. Not all of them are, and the ones that are not retired that I'm still approaching because I've I know they could do so much good for these younger pastors. I don't have time, and I understand that. Mm-hmm. You know, if somebody yeah, I'd come to you. If, if younger me had approached me back when I was full in the saddle at IBC, I I wouldn't even have considered. Right. It I can't handle what I got on my plate. Exactly. Um, but uh, what I what I come back to them with hasn't been successful rebuttal yet is that you know you could be a cohort pastor uh, basically it, it if you have ten guys in your groups it's it's only about you know nine hours a month hmm. and you get paid for it yeah but the impact and you do some good the impact so it's not that much time and by the way yeah. I don't care how many cohorts a guy wants to lead you know right. you, you can do that but if you just do one it's not that much so for all of you sages out there uh, I want to put a guilt trip on you you got a bunch of young people out here dying on the vine they need your help yeah they do. Uh, so but then to the participants you know um, it's at first it's it was a real hard sell for me to get anybody to join my cohort Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, again, it was the time issue. They thought, I don't have time for something else. Yeah. I mean, if anything, they they feel more put upon than even older guys, yeah. you know, in the churches. But yeah, I I think the I think the other resistance from pastors out there that are laboring is um, they just don't want to get into that old ministerial association right. thing. And especially if if uh, if they don't already have a personal relationship with you, yeah. like uh, of my guys, um, the the majority of my guys, I already knew them, had a relationship with it's them, and, and they wanted they they said, oh, I'd love to be part of that. Um, but there are a couple that that didn't know me before, and man, it took me a long time. And I think it's just because they're a little um, skittish about. Committing to some sort of a uh, uh, an ongoing uh, peer group that they they're not about. they're not yeah. sure they're going to like it or right. enjoy. Uh, so I'll just say this: um, you can get out of this real quick. I mean, give us a month's notice and you're out. Yeah. Uh, we don't want you to. Right. But uh, you, you're not you, trying you, to you, lock anybody in. It's not the whole rest of your life. And um, for for those who are interested in kicking the tires a little bit before you commit. Um, I've I have guests in my Zoom cohort all the time, and we'd love to have you come That's in for great. a guest. You know, call up one of our cohort pastors, talk with us personally, get to know us, whatever. Um, 
I do think that once this thing gets some wheels to it and we get more cohort pastors populating their cohorts and having great influence and success, I think we're going to get to a point where, as you said before, you know, word of mouth. That that's that's what's going to do it, but we're 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 in the trenches right now. Yeah. Well, our time's gone, Andy. This has just been so rich, and I, I guess I just want to encourage our listeners, particularly pastoral leaders. Um, you know, you said I don't know if I want to do that. I don't know if we have time for that. It's like uh, it's like saying I don't know if I got time to sleep. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's that crucial to mm. their literal health and their soul's health. And the, and the image that comes to my mind, and we'll finish with this, is just, it's like mountain climbing, you know, and I'm talking like in the Alps or the Himalayas or something. You go mountain climbing, you always go with a group of people, and they're all tied to each other because it's treacherous up there. And if, if, if somebody slips and falls, they've got somebody to belay them and pull them back and, you know. But, man, if you're trying to do that on your own, you, I mean, yeah. you could fall, and you you could fall thousands of feet to your death and nobody would mm. even hear you. Yeah, yeah. And to me, it's that serious. Yeah. So that's why I'm so thankful for the work you're doing, and uh, I certainly in, in endorse <laughs> it and encourage it. I appreciate Encourage it. pastors to check out the Kaleo Collective. Um, thank you for being with us today on the table. Thank you for having me, Bill. That If the guys – or gals want to go to the website, it's kaleocollective.org. .org, okay. And it's kaleo. K-A-L. With a K. Right. <laughs> right. As, as all theological yeah. people. Well, I, was, I, was, I was assuming the pastors knew how to spell it. <laughs> you're, you're right. But uh, I, I, I don't make any took, assumptions anymore. <laughs> That's right. That's if they did. So thank you. Thank you, Bill, for you, having me. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure. And I want to thank you for joining us today on the Table Podcast. Uh, You can subscribe to The Table on your favorite uh, subscription service. And we look forward to seeing you next time on The Table. I'm Bill Hendricks. Have a good day. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well.